Welcome back to FCC Grayson Online for this, our Sunday message, the second message in our study of the book of Exodus. My name is Ben James. I am the lead pastor here at First Church in Grayson. First, want to say thank you to Brianna Adams for uh, reading that passage of Scripture out of uh, the book of Acts, chapter 7. Now, we're going to be referencing that passage uh, in particular here just in a little bit in my message. That wasn't just some random message that I had recruited her to read a 50-verse passage for us. We will get to that, and that will play a role in this story that we're looking at today want to remind you there's a couple very important things that I want to ask you to do, and it, both of them happen at the very end of this video. As we normally do each week, want to remind you to stick around for the sermon considerations that we'll have posted right after this. But also, even beyond that, please don't leave early. Okay, Don't leave before my message is done. Don't leave during the sermon considerations because we'll have another short three to four minute video. After that, we've got some pretty exciting news and an announcement on our website. We've got a new prayer feature now that goes live today. Right now, as you're watching this, it is live. And it's our next steps indicator, and it'll be down at the bottom of your screen as you go onto the website. I'm not going to talk too much about it, but it's going to have an awesome prayer hub, prayer wall thing that all of us as the First Church family will be able to participate in and benefit from. So we're going to have an instructional video as to how to operate that at the end of my message today. So we're back in the book of Exodus, and get comfortable there. We're going to be there for a little while this year. Last week, we talked about the five major themes, and I want to make sure that you keep those in the forefront of your thoughts, because again, with each of our messages, it's going to have at least one of those themes. Sometimes it's going to have multiples, but it's going to have at least one each week. And those themes were God keeps his promises, God's presence never leaves us, God reveals who he is. God liberates us from bondage and provides us freedom. And we see the theme of redemptive sacrifices. So as we go through this message today, I want you to be looking and being aware, making note of where you see in which of these themes that you see in our message today. So I'm going to go ahead and have you turn to Exodus chapter 1. Now I'm going to be reading here in just a few moments, Exodus 1. 8 through 22. But today's message, we're going to be taking two points that I touched upon last week. So these are not brand new points, but I didn't take a lot of time to expand on these points last week, but you did hear me talk about them. The first point is that God has a plan. God always has a plan. And the second point today is that plans don't match. Our plans God's plans very, very rarely ever match. So before I get more into detail on that, let's read this passage of Scripture, Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. 
But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra and the other Pua, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So let's take this passage, and let's look at some realities here. And I want to compare and contrast as I'm talking about these two points of God has a plan and the plans don't match. I first kind of want to set the stage just a little bit of what we just read. Because if we're being honest, we can whitewash Scripture a lot of times. We can take the human element, we can take the human narrative and this human interest factor, and, and we kind of bury it under different lenses as we read Scripture. When we read Scripture as a history book, then we detach ourselves from any type of human effect or human emotion or human reality, and we just take it in as information only. We tend to sanitize the Scripture in, in a lot of ways and in a lot of cases. All of us. All of us do that. But I really want us to take a moment and really concentrate on the reality that is this situation that we just read out of Exodus chapter 1, what really was happening here. So we see in verses 8 through 10, as if we're going to exposit this, which is my tendency to do, if we're looking at verses 8 through 10, I want you to notice the danger of propaganda, of false propaganda. And this working behind the scenes to push and further a narrative, whether it be true or not. We see in verse 8 that a king, that a pharaoh, rose to power in Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now you can read all types of commentaries and they'll have different types of opinions of whether the pharaoh actually didn't know Joseph at all or that he knew Joseph, knew what he did. He just had new policies and new edicts that totally went against what Joseph did. But regardless of whether he didn't actually know Joseph or he just chose not to know uh, Joseph in the ways that had been established during Joseph's time, it says that he began to deal with the nation of Israel differently. Now, one of the areas of interest in this passage that we have to be aware of is that Israel's time in Egypt wasn't always bad. It wasn't always oppressed. It wasn't always in captivity and slavery. They lived well in Egypt for a really, really long time. They were brought in by Pharaoh during the time of Joseph as almost a reward 
for Joseph being such a faithful servant to Pharaoh that during this famine, during the drought that was going on at the time, they were allowed to be brought in as a reward for Joseph's loyalty. So they lived well in Egypt for a really long time. And sometimes we can have this mindset that they either lived well the whole time or that they were kind of in bondage and slavery the whole time. And neither one of those are true. They, they had a good run in Egypt. They lived well for a very long time. But we see in verse 8 that when the king, when Pharaoh begins to get threatened, and now remember, this is a different people group. Okay, We see some elements of of racism here. We see some elements of prejudice coming to light here in Egypt within Pharaoh. These foreigners, these people who are not Egyptian, these Hebrew, these Israelites that have have infiltrated us, that have taken over our lands, they're becoming too numerous and, and, and they're going to cause a threat. What if, what if they they take sides. What if they take sides with one of our enemies? That's exactly what he's saying here. It's like, what if one of our enemies rises up against us and these Hebrews, these Israelites, they decide that they no longer want to be loyal to the Egyptians, but they want to be loyal and help fight against us, then they're going to cause our destruction. They're going to be the ruination of the Egyptian empire. So we need to do something about it. Folks, there's a danger in this false propaganda in this rhetoric, in this constant stirring up of fear and animosity and division that we see that's taking place here. And we don't have to look too far to see this happening in our own day and time. And we need to learn lessons here from this passage of Scripture as we're going through this. So verses 8 through 10, it's the danger of false propaganda and rhetoric and false rhetoric being spread and and, and swaying and causing division, division between one people group against another people group. Then we see in verses 11 through 15, we see dehumanization really start to take place. Now, dehumanization, let me, let me just pause here, that never begins with action. I think that we can search the annals of history and we can see that any time that dehumanization rises and, and, and just rears its ugly head, that we can look and we can say it didn't start in the moment that it started to be manifest and evident, it started in like these backroom discussions like we see that Pharaoh's having with them here is like these Israelites, they're going to cause a problem. What if? What You see, it becomes a us versus them, them versus us. We can't trust them because they're different than we are. They, they don't like the same things. They, they believe differently than we do. They have different values than what we do. See, dehumanization happens first in the hearts and in the discussion in these backroom type settings and then they begin to manifest out and you can search anytime through the annals of history and you can trace this back at least to, to my knowledge and my research anyhow and we'll, we'll get a little deeper into that here in just a minute but we see the dehumanization in thought and in word transfer and become manifest into deed and action when they begin to enslave the Israelites. So this this group, this massive group of people who lived there and lived there well and contributed and were part of the society now find themselves in bondage, in captivity, in slavery because they're being dehumanized and they're being seen as enemies and threats 
And we're not talking about a short period of time either. This was going on. This was happening for decades. All right, It wasn't just slavery for a week or a month or a year, and then the deliverance happened. We're talking about decades here. And then as these things continue to build on themselves, we see propaganda, the dehumanization and propaganda. Then we see it build to dehumanization in slavery and bondage and oppression. And then we see dehumanization taken to its ultimate form when genocide starts happening. Verses 16 through 22, we see that, okay, we're going to instruct them that the male children, all of the male children that are born, they're to be killed. They're to be thrown and cast into the Nile River. Guys, I'm telling you, there's, there's something I mean, there's levels of evil here that I don't think that we, most of us, hopefully all of us, there's levels of evil here that I don't think that we can comprehend. I don't think we can wrap our minds around it because we are talking about genocide. We are talking about viewing, viewing people not as people, not even as livestock, and not even as prized property, but property that can just be discarded whenever we don't want to deal with it anymore, whenever we don't like it, whenever it, 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 on this whim that we can just, let's kill all the young children. And not just the, all the young children, but let's kill all the male children. And this is going to open us up to a brand new level of depravity and evil in this. It's like, we're like they were fine with leaving the little girls, you know, because little girls can be used sex trafficking. We're talking about little girls in prostitution. We're talking about little girls being used for breeding and breeding only that were seen as a stature lower than the livestock. Evil beyond what many of us will ever be able to wrap our minds around. And I hope to goodness that none of us can ever wrap our minds around that level of evil. But understand that this is an extremely dark time in Egypt. Okay, don't whitewash this. Don't sanitize this. Don't gloss over this and just kind of rush through it as you're reading it. Understand just how dark, understand just how evil and just how despicable this time was and the way that people were being treated in the history of mankind during this period. It was atrocious. And if we look at it, if you know, we've got we've got propaganda, we've got rhetoric flying, We've got slavery, we've got people being dehumanized and being in bondage and in slavery and oppression. And then we see a genocide ultimately happening. You know, we don't have to look too far back in our history to see moments very similar to this. I think you'll probably study and find out of these backroom discussions of propaganda in Nazi Germany. Then you're going to start seeing the dehumanization of the Jewish population during that era in Germany. And then you're ultimately going to see the Holocaust. You're going to see the genocide of an entire people group or trying to wipe out an entire people group. I don't think you have to look too deeply into Mao's China and his opposition against the Christian and other outside groups in that. We've not... We've not graduated too far from this. So we have to understand that there are dangers in this rhetoric, in this propaganda, in this oppression, in this dehumanizing, and in this mindset that we're better than them or we're better, they're better than them and this and this and trying to give value and rank. Anytime that we remove the image and the likeness of God of, from any of his creation, then we have taken ourselves away from the, from the focus and the view that God has of people. Because all of us, 
All of us are image and likeness bearers to the King of Kings, our Creator, Almighty God. So if we're looking at stars in the darkness, if we're, if we're looking at this concept, we've laid out just how dark that it is in Egypt. Okay? And, and really, the, the diatribe that I just went on doesn't even begin to scratch the surface and do it justice. But God has a plan. And we have to understand that no matter how powerful the nation, no matter how powerful the person, no matter how bad the situation is, God's plan will not be thwarted. God's plan will continue. It will come to pass. Now, there's a couple levels here that I want to make sure we dive into because in Egypt, that was the most powerful nation of the world at that time, with the most powerful leader, with the most power, powerful government, with the most powerful economy, with the most powerful um, army, with all of these forces that no one rivaled, no one matched these Egyptians, not even the most powerful nation in the world could stop the kingdom of God. They could not cease, they could not thwart his plans. But not whitewashing, not sanitizing. That does not take away from the fact that horrible atrocities were taking place. That, that doesn't mean that babies weren't thrown into the Nile River. You know what? Because they were. That doesn't mean that young girls and young ladies were raped, were brutalized, were murdered, that people were losing their lives, that sex trafficking and slavery and all of these things weren't happening because they were. Let's not sanitize it, but let's understand that in the midst of all of this darkness, in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this absolutely atrocious evil that's taking place, God's plan was still progressing, that they were not able to stamp it out. So going back to Acts chapter 7, what Brianna read for us a little bit earlier, I want to take just a moment and I want us to acknowledge that this is Stephen. All right, this is Stephen right before he gets stoned to death. And this boldness comes over him, and he just shares this, this, not only the gospel, but the history of Israel and the way that God had brought them all through. And that really is what Brianna read, was the history of Israel. So we see in Acts chapter 7 what God's plan was and the way that it played out. And if we look at Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 2, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into his land in which you are living now. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's, foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. So God had promised Abram that your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And then he says that, Abraham, even though that you're not going to be able to step foot into it, don't worry, your descendants will. So this nation of Israel had lived with this hope for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that there is coming a time that the promise, that the covenant that God made with Abraham will be fulfilled and we will be in that land. That promised land that God has for us, that's going to happen. 
God's plan is going to happen. So we're clinging to these promises. We're clinging to this plan. We're clinging to the goodness of God. And where do we find ourselves? Well, we find in this story, we find the Israelites in a place that does not match the plan. The promise and the plan and the placement did not match at all at this point. And for us to think that everybody was just biding their time, patiently waiting, not having any type of vested interest or not this type of faith roller coaster, no doubt, no fears, no questioning whatsoever, that that's what was happening during this time. Friends, that was not even close to what was happening. Understand that as we, as we look today, and as we'll continue to look through the book of Exodus, there's going to be so many moments that God's plan and the, the present of where they find themselves are polar opposites, are so far apart from our standpoint that fear, doubt, and despair begin to take over. So they find themselves in a place of utter and complete darkness awaiting this plan, awaiting this promise. So what can you and I take from this? Because we see in Acts chapter 7, and we can see through the rest of the Old Testament that God's plan did come to pass. That he was true and faithful to every word, every promise, every commitment, every covenant that he made. God's plan does come to pass. But the trip there, the journey there, is full of moments that's going to cause doubt. So how do we, what's the application for us in this? As we are looking at this message, as we're looking at the situation between God's plan and then plans not matching, where do we find ourselves? What lessons can we learn? Well, first, I think that we have to learn and understand that God is always at work. Even when it seems like it's in secret, even when it seems like it's in silence, even when we begin to think that God may have forgotten about that promise, God may have abandoned us, we have to look at moments like this and understand that God is always at work. So let's not just make sure that we're not whitewashing this passage out of Exodus. Let's make sure that we're going beyond not sanitizing that, and let's talk straight about today. Let's talk about what God's plan and our plans not matching up. What does that mean today? Well, I think that for us, as First Church of Christ in Grayson, I think what we have to make sure is that we are providing a safe environment and a comfortable environment for people to wrestle with their doubt and their fear. That's right. All of this Sunday masquerade and the put together and bless God, praise his name, brother, hallelujah, I'm, I'm perfect, I'm fine. While, while there's nothing wrong with saying that, we have to understand that we have to be an atmosphere where we can help each other and deal with this fear, with these moments of doubt, and our moments of despair. Because let's just be honest. Just like they were losing children, they were, they were being persecuted, they were being oppressed, I think that there's a lot of times in our lives when it's hard for us 
to really see the goodness of God in situations. What about this relationship of mine that's falling apart? Tell me how he's good there. Tell me about this job that I just lost. I'm, I'm struggling with seeing the goodness of God there. This child that I have that's absolutely breaking my heart that I'm crying myself to sleep at night worrying about this child. How's God good in that situation? What about this sickness that I have? What about this disease that I have? What about this loved one that I just lost? What about all these financial difficulties that I'm having? What about, what about the state of the world that we're in? What about the people who are out to get me and, and, and my loved ones? What about the us being on the brink of possibly another major conflict. Help me to understand where God is good there. You know, if we strip off that veneer and that mask that we wear around our brothers and sisters in Christ, then I think that all of us face moments that we deal with that, right? I do. God, I'm struggling sometimes to see your goodness here. God, I'm wrestling with some doubts. God, I feel myself falling into fear and despair here. And you know what? If you feel that way, you're not in bad company. And not just because it's me, too. I mean, but let's be honest. It's great company if I'm there, right? But anyhow, let's see. Um, Moses, David, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Elijah. Let's, you know, I mean, those, those are like Hall of Famers right there, right? Those are some big names, and all of them dealt with seeing God's goodness in the way that things were playing out. All of them dealt with fear and doubt and despair. But what we have to make sure that we're doing as a church is that we are setting an atmosphere. We become a place where people are comfortable with going, I'm just struggling right now. Like, Listen, I love Jesus. I have... I know that God's got a plan. I know that God's faithful. I know that God's good. But my brother, my sister, I am really struggling in seeing that right now because we've all been there. You see, when our plans don't match God's plans, that's when we need to be as open and honest and transparent as possible, not only with God, but with each other. And for those of us that they're opening up to, we have to be willing to join them where they're at and encourage them. Because, I mean, you know, hey, I lost this loved one. I lost this child. I, there, this, this happened, this calamity come, and I'm just really struggling. And, you know, we don't need to come alongside them. And even though it's true, I've never once had somebody walk up to me. I, I remember in the two greatest moments of loss in my life with my dad and my sister, people told me all the time that, hey, God's in control. God's got a plan. And you know what? I know that was 100% true. And I know that that was 100% purely heartfelt and genuine coming from them. But not one time did somebody say that. And I go, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. I don't know why I'm sad now. God's got this. God's in control. And it's true. But we need people to just be there, to just be there with us, and to create and cultivate this atmosphere to where we can wrestle with these doubts. We can wrestle with these fears and these moments of despair together. And lastly, I think the, another, uh, the other application for us in this, in this message is the midwives. Now, we're going to have a supplemental video coming out that's going to explain a little bit more about the midwives. I encourage you to listen to Chop for Time that'll be coming out tomorrow because we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the midwives and, and the dynamics of that. But what I want to draw our attention to today was that 
the midwives were considered to be insignificant in, these, in this culture. Women in this culture were, were basically insignificant. But notice that there's only two names that are, that are mentioned in this passage, Shifra and Pua, and that's the two midwives. God uses those that everybody else sees as insignificant. God changes things through people that we would consider small, irrelevant, insignificant. God can change our culture. God can change our community. God can change lives through you and I. No matter how small we are, no matter how many mistakes we've made, or how many mistakes we're currently making or will make, God is a God that is sovereign. And he uses, and it's not just, this is not just an Exodus concept. You can look in Matthew, in any of the Gospels, in any of the New Testament, that you'll see these people that most write off as insignificant, most that, that, that have, that no one's attributing any value or significance to whatsoever. These are the ones that God uses. So don't think that just because you may not have a position, you may not have a title, you may not have influence, you may not have significance, you may not have social standing, don't think that that disqualifies you from being used by God. Quite the opposite, actually. Most likely, he's wanting to do something through you. But what we have to make sure that we do is that we cling to the fact that God has a plan. And regardless of whether the plans don't match or not, I am not going to give up hope that God is that, that God's going to bring me through this. He will. I know this plan's going to come to pass. I know that his promises are true. I know that he will not. Again, I just gave my theme away. <laughs> That's one of the themes that you'll see there is that God keeps his promises. But make sure that we're taking the time, not only for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we're navigating this thing called life and the, at life and the plans aren't matching up that we continue to encourage, exhort, and walk side by side with each other through these dark times. Please remember, stick around for just a few moments. We have some sermon considerations coming up. Got some questions for you that I'd like for you to consider. And then after that, we have a little bit of an instructional video on how to utilize some new features on our website. Thank you so much for joining us today for FCC Grace and Online. We'll see you next week as we continue to dive into the book of Exodus.